Welcome to the Republican Professor. This is a wonderful guest we have today, Dr. Jeff Barkey, MD. That's an MD here in Orange County. Thanks for being here, Dr. Barkey. Great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. So I reached out to you, uh, Jeff, I guess, um, or Dr. Barkey, um, because I know that you're involved in classical education at the K through 12 level, uh, specifically public school, charter school, Orange County Classical Academy. And um, I have met your wife, uh, Mary Barkey. She, so this is a point of connection for us. I don't know how long this was ago, maybe four years ago, five years ago, uh, at an Orange County gun owners uh, meeting. I think it was at Rifle Supply in Huntington Beach, I believe. I have pictures, so the pictures would tell me the date. But uh, we didn't ha normally have people running for board seats, like education seats, come to our meeting, but she did. And I thought, oh, I got to keep my eye on this person because this person obviously is not afraid of guns and seems to actually be supportive of the Second Amendment. <laughs> and based on this uh, background you have, uh, I'll describe for people listening on iTunes or whatever, uh, you have an American flag as your background <laughs> medical doctor. So what an interesting guy. And then since then, I've been following you on Facebook or uh, Instagram, one of those. And I've seen that you're just like a patriotic guy. Rx for Liberty is what it is. Is that what it is? Rx for Liberty? That's right. Rx for Liberty. The four is spelled F-O-R. Rx for Liberty on Instagram. That's cool. also my website, Rx for Liberty. And wow. most of my social media is spent on Instagram. And you have like 70,000 followers on Instagram. Um, how long did you take take to get ramp up to that? Uh, you know, it's been a couple of years. This, this really started during COVID where I was asked early in COVID to give a talk out in Riverside before the Riverside County Board of Supervisors. This was when everything was closed. And the Riverside County Board of Supervisors was meeting to decide whether they should open up Riverside. And for your listeners who don't know this, who aren't from Southern California, I live in coastal Orange County. Riverside is probably 60 or 70 miles inland from there. Normally, it's not the kind of commute you'd ever want to make, no. especially during the week. Going but the wrong this way. Time, <laughs> because of COVID, the freeways were completely empty. So it was like 20 minutes. So I gave a brief talk, maybe five minutes, and that was posted on Facebook. And within a few minutes, I was getting phone calls from around the world, media outlets, physicians, patients. I didn't think I really said anything that remarkable, but I always carry a copy of the Constitution with me, and I held it up. And I said something like, this document was never designed to restrict we the people. This document was designed to restrict the government. And I think oh. that really hit a chord because the opposite was happening. The government was telling we the people what to do. It was the first time I've ever witnessed where our First Amendment rights were being infringed by the government. We were told that we weren't allowed to go to church or synagogue. Places of worship were closed. Mom and pop stores were mandatorily closed while the big box stores like Costco and Walmart were allowed to stay open. Liquor stores and Planned Parenthood were allowed to stay open. Um, and I've just never seen anything like it. I mean, maybe it was a good thing that liquor stores were open. I don't know. Um, but the government was making these determinations, not local control and not we the people. And I thought it was wrong. And so I spoke out. And as a result of that, I guess I became this activist physician. And I haven't stopped since because I think there's still important work to be done. And I realized... Not everybody is cut out to be an activist. And, you know, God blessed me with the gift to be able to speak publicly and to be articulate. And I thought I had a obligation to continue to do so as long as there were people that would listen. Somewhere along the way, my daughter encouraged me to create an Instagram account. And I said, okay, what's Instagram? And 
you know, she told me and I go, okay, cool. Go ahead and create it for me. She works in digital media. She came up with the name RX for Liberty and created my account. And I started using that account to really promote not so much controversial stuff, but holistic health stuff, because I think that's right in alignment with the health freedom movement. Yeah. Teach people how to be their own best doctor, to disconnect from the need of needing big pharma or traditional medicine to to teach people how to take care of themselves. Cause I think we've done a terrible job for many years. And I've got a course coming up in a few weeks called mastering your own health. And it's a 10 part series weekly on a zoom like platform. So it'll be interactive and you can learn about it from my Instagram account, RX for Liberty. There's a link to sign up or on my website, RX for Liberty. It's held through an organization called IPAC, I-P-A-K, and they host these educational conferences. So I'll be doing that. And I just do what I can to reach out and try to share a holistic, integrative health approach to taking care of ourselves. My medical practice is closed to new patients. My brick and mortar medical practice, I got so busy during COVID of people wanting a like-minded physician that didn't mandate vaccines or masks and pushed a holistic approach to healthcare, not one that's driven by big pharma. That is excellent. I For those that can see, I'm sharing his Instagram page just briefly so you can get an idea of what it looks like. Rx for Liberty. You got a little blue check mark there. 76,000 followers. Wow. Dang. And under where it says Linktree, which is below Linktree. my little written bio. Yeah, there's a link to the IPAC course. Um, okay. So right at the top where it says mastering your own health at the top there. Okay. Yep. And that'll go Look take that. you right to the registration. Uh, nice. If you're interested. That's awesome. What's the price point on that? Uh, I think it's $140. And if you're a subscriber to my Instagram, uh, there's a discount code that's offered and all the lectures are recorded. So if you happen to miss one, one week, you can listen to it again, but hopefully you'll come on live because it's the interaction that I think will be most gotcha. fun. Yeah. What's the, dash edu. what's the subscription uh, price point? Uh, Meta or Instagram sets that. I think it's $4.99 a month. $4 or $400? $4.99 a month. For you to be subscribed to, for them to be subscribed to your special stuff. Yeah. So they get additional content. Every morning, Monday through Friday, I record a morning message. Mm. It's a reel, 90 seconds. That's all that Instagram allows on some holistic health topic. And then there's a morning message for subscribers only. Yes. Every I've... Friday is okay. informed consent Friday. So I will pull a package insert yeah. Yeah. for a vaccine, not trying to encourage or discourage anybody uh -huh. I'm getting vaccinated, but rather offering informed consent, reading directly from the package insert about yeah. the studies that bring forward this vaccine, about what the potential side effects are. And most importantly to me, what are the ingredients in these uh, vaccinations? Yes, I've seen, I, I try to get, catch as many of these as possible and they're short and they're sweet. And I have to say, this past week, especially given everything that's going on in the Middle East, um, you have this calmness and you always smile and, and um, it's not like, you know, you, I feel like I don't, it's not like you don't know what's going on in the world. It's just, it feels like it's a conscious choice of your, to be positive while you're doing this message. I don't know. I mean, how do you approach that? <laughs> well, I mean, I try to keep meta. Meta is Instagram and Facebook relatively non-controversial because they will deplatform you and ban you mm -hmm. if you start talking about controversial stuff. There is plenty of content on the web and elsewhere about what's going on in Israel and the Middle East. Mm -hmm. That's not my platform. That's not my area of expertise. I certainly have very strong feelings about it. Um, but I don't, I haven't used my platform to give my opinion on that because there's plenty of opinions out there. Some of which are far more informed than mine. Well, I, I was trying to give you a compliment. I was, I, I, 
I appreciated that for that few, that little slice of those, those ones for this past week that you smiled, that you, um, went right into the material of, of what you were talking about. It's usually something that's very concrete that helps somebody. And, uh, like you said, on Fridays, the, the informed consent thing, what a concept, what a concept read the thing that comes with, is it a vaccine or usually these are things that are well, being it's, pushed on you know, you. there it's supposed to be the standard of care that whenever you have any kind of medical intervention, mm-hmm. you go to the doctor and have a mole cut off your arm. Cause it looks funny. You have a procedure on you. You're prescribed a medication or you're given a vaccination. You're supposed to receive informed consent. And what that means is there are some basics that are supposed to be delivered to you. What is the um, benefit of whatever the product is that you're getting or the procedure that you're having done? Sometimes it's obvious, but it needs to be stated. And this is supposed to be in writing, by the way. What are the potential side effects of whatever it is that you're having done? What are the side effects? We're talking about vaccinations. Um, What are the alternatives to having this done? And what potential complications could occur? This is basic medical um, dogma, if you will. It's supposed to be. So if you come in and have a mole taken off, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to say, Lucas, here's the deal. This mole looks a little funny, and I think we should take it off to analyze it. Um, And the benefits obvious are that we'll find out whether this is skin cancer and we'll be able to do something about it or cure it simply by removing it. The potential downside is it's going to be a little uncomfortable. I'm going to inject you with some lidocaine. I could end up leaving a little bit of a scar. Occasionally, these things get infected and I might have to treat that. Uh, I may not get the whole thing and we'll have to do some more work. And alternatively, we can do nothing but follow this and watch it carefully and don't do anything unless we think it's getting worse or growing and so forth. You know, I'm making this up, but that's sort of the overview and that should be in writing. Do you understand? And have I answered all your questions? Yes. Please sign here and acknowledge that I've given you informed consent. That should happen with vaccinations, prescription medication, with everything. You have a right. I have a level of knowledge that you don't have. And you have a right to understand why I think whatever treatment it is, is going to be best for you. And then you make the decision in partnership with me, but it's not my decision to make for you. And so vaccines are the same way, but nobody gets informed consent anymore. You you walk into Rite Aid, Walgreens, Savon, wherever, the pharmacy, and you see a big ad on the wall. Let's talk about shingles, for example. There'll be some lady with a horrible shingles rash across their face. And the subtitle will say, don't be this person, get your shingles vaccine. It's free with your Medicare card because you're 70 years old or whatever. So you walk up to the counter and you say, man, I don't want to be like that person. I'd like a shingles vaccine. No problem. Can I see your Medicare card? Great. It's free. Step over here to the side. The pharmacist or nurse will be out and will get you your shingle shot. They come out, you roll up your sleeve. They give you the shingle shot. They put a Band-Aid on. Have a nice day. There is no informed consent. They don't give you the package insert to read. They don't share with you what the ingredients are, what the side effects are, what the alternatives are. They don't do that. And they should do that. We should demand that. It's not appropriate to be doing this with patients, whether it's a vaccine, whether it's a prescription antibiotic or medication for cholesterol or high blood pressure or whatever. It is ethical that you need to receive informed consent before you um, are given some sort of intervention. And that simply isn't done. So on Fridays, Friday is informed consent day. I've been doing this mostly with vaccinations, but you know we can do this with almost anything. The vaccinations are very interesting because most people don't realize that almost every single vaccination on the market has never been placebo control tested. Okay, what wow. does that mean? Wow. Normally, you would think when you're doing a study, you take, I don't know, a thousand people that get you the need, drug you that you control. You need a control. You group. get you get one group that gets the drug and you get another group that's matched by age and sex and nationality and so forth. And they don't get the drug. They get a placebo like a sugar pill or if it's an injection, it's like just water or saline. 
and the person who's giving the injection doesn't know whether they're getting the active ingredient or not. The person receiving it doesn't know if they're in the control group or the placebo group. That That's called a blinded study. And that's the most effective study because there's no bias involved with the injector or the receiver. Then you follow those people over a period of time and you question them regularly about side effects and so forth. And do they get the illness that you're trying to prevent and so forth. That's a randomized, blinded, double blinded. The patient doesn't know. Yeah. The doctor doesn't know. And that's the most rigorous way to do a study. Well, vaccines, they don't do that. Well, what do they do? They do one of two things. The new hepatitis B vaccine, for example, that's on the market, wasn't studied against a placebo. It was studied against the older generation hepatitis B vaccine, mm. which is fine. Maybe you want to do that to show that it's better or as good as the old one, but it's not proving efficacy and it's not proving safety because there is no placebo group. Now you can argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, and I'm not here to do that, but patients should be informed of that, and then you decide. The second is either they do it against an older generation vaccine, or the, the, the um, I think the most sneaky trick is inside the vial of vaccine, you have a piece of the antigen, let's say it's chickenpox, for example, a chickenpox virus that's in there to stimulate your immune system to react against it. But there's a bunch of other stuff in the vaccine as well. There's a preservative. There's often an adjuvant, a chemical that's put in to kind of boost your immune system's reaction to the virus and, and a few other things like this. So what a lot of vaccine companies will do is they will remove the antigen, the viral particle, and they will give the remaining preservatives, adjuvant, whatever else is in it, to the control group. And they'll call that a placebo. Well, it's not a placebo. It's not. You're giving the person the same, you're giving the control group the exact same thing, only minus the tiny antigen. And people can react to the adjuvant. They can react to the preservatives and whatever else is in the, in the, in the chemical. That's not a placebo control but they present it as such. And then you look at both groups, the, the group that got the drug, the group that got all the stuff minus the antigen, and lo and behold, they both have a very similar side effect profile and the pharma company concludes safe and effective. See, this has no different side effects than the placebo. And that's, in my opinion, that's, that's fraudulent. We should be demanding that every new drug, every new vaccine, is placebo control tested against saline or something that is inert and uh, and, it, and is not close to what the actual product is that's being put into the arm? So these this is the type of information I want to bring to people. Three really three things that I want to provide on informed consent day. Okay. Number one, what are the ingredients in the product besides the antigen? What is in there in the flu shot, for example, this year the multi vial doses of flu shots you in a vial you can draw out 10 different doses it has thimerosal what's that thimerosal is a mercury containing preservative it's a mercury is a neurotoxin you would never want to put oh, that scary. in your body in my opinion <laughs> so i want to teach patients what not just patients followers anybody that'll listen what's the ingredient in the vaccine not barky's opinion but literally reading from the fda approved package insert what are the studies that brought this to market required to put in the package insert? Difficult to read, but I'm trained to understand how to read these studies. The average person without any scientific or medical background, you look at this and it's Greek. You can't read it, not to mention that it's like eight point font and you can't even read it anyways. Yeah. And then the third is, and I think is really important is what are the post-marketing studies? Meaning mm. it's fine that we have the studies that brought it to market very controlled and what were the side effects and so forth, but what's the real life application? So after it's been released, what about the hundreds of thousands of people that have since received it? What's been their experience? It's sort of like this, you know, Apple releases a new update for your iPhone and it's cool in the laboratory. It seemed to work perfectly. And you're a little hesitant. Should I hit the install button or not? go online, various tech sites and read the review where they say, holy crap, don't put this new update in. It's yeah. causing all kinds of problems. 
Well, in the laboratory, Apple, and I'm not, you know, bagging on Apple, can be anybody, an Android, sure. you know, Microsoft, whatever. Yeah. They up, they come up with these up, upgrades, updates, and they're not always, they don't always work as advertised because it's limited testing. It's not testing to millions of people. It's testing maybe to a few thousand. And it's very different in a controlled environment versus when you let the public loose with something and it could have a difference. Here's a perfect example. I just upgraded my iPhone. I bought a new one, the iPhone 15. Oh. Well, within about a week of getting it, I'm reading that the new iPhone 15 is having some problems. It's heating up a lot for whatever reason. It's getting really warm and they're getting a lot of complaints and, and problems. Mm -hmm. And so Apple says, holy crap, well, we've got a fix for that. We've got a software update, upgrade, whatever. And, you know, so upgrade it and we've we've accomplished, you know, this problem. We've solved it. Yeah. Well, how come they didn't solve it before they released it to the public? <laughs> right. Well, you know, how did you how did you not know that Vioxx, Vioxx was a drug that was used for inflammation uh, years ago, it was thought to be, you know, this wonderful drug. I can't remember if it was Pfizer, whoever made it, it doesn't matter, but it was released and used for a year or so. And all of a sudden it was discovered that this drug was causing people to have heart damage and death. And so the company that made it said, oops, sorry about that. And the FDA required them to remove it from the market. So all the tests that brought it to market, no harm, no foul, seemed to work. FDA approved it. But only after it was mass marketed did it was it discovered that this harmed people. And this isn't the first time. There's lots of drugs that are approved by the FDA that once they go to mass market, there are side effects and, and problems with it that they didn't see in the original studies. So that's why ingredients, the studies that brought it to market and the post-marketing studies, I think are important. In the post-marketing stuff, there's often side effects and problems that weren't seen in the original study. The FDA requires that they be, they be put in the package insert. And then finally, Lucas, this, is, this cracks me up. On the back of all these package inserts, and I'll, I'll, you, you won't be able to see it because it's so damn small. Um, on the I've back seen, of all I've these seen package one before, inserts, so. It says um, if there's it says, first of all, all patients should receive uh, informed consent and be given a copy of basically the package insert. Uh -huh. And if there's any side effects or problems, they should be reported to the VAERS system, V-A-E-R-S, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. Now, that may okay. sound familiar to some of your listeners because this was the same system during COVID-19 when the vaccines first came out that lit up like a Christmas tree. There were so many reports of injuries being reported to it. And then the pharmaceutical companies that make these COVID vaccines said, well, hang on a second. This is a flawed system. People are reporting and, and it's not accurate. We can't trust the VAR system on and on and on and on. Yet this is the same system that they, that they poo-pooed during COVID-19 that now in these package inserts, they're saying we're supposed to use as the gold standard for reporting injury and problems with the vaccine. So you can't have it two ways. I'm not surprised. Um, this is just part of the problem with the marketing of uh, pharmaceuticals and vaccines. Wow. Hmm. Can we uh, back up a, a tad and and just ask about you a little bit. How did you, sure. how did you become so patriotic? Where'd you go to medical school? What's your board certification? I went and to then... I went to undergraduate at the University of Southern California. I've heard of it. And I, when I was there, listen, I was not. I'm not. I was never political. I mean, my parents weren't political. I they were Republicans, but we never really talked politics. My dad shared stories about he how he supported Barry Goldwater back in the day. And on his mantle in his study, he had this, uh, he had this um, a can of water, I guess, gold water back in the day, uh, sold as a, as a campaign thing, you know, gold water. So he had this <laughs> can like a, like a Coca-Cola can, and it said gold water on it. Right. That's so funny. I knew he was a Republican, but we weren't really involved in politics. What well, did when you I major, you, what'd you major when I, in? Did you major in biology? Biology. I did. My older brother is a physician. So I sort of was following in his footsteps. We were roommates at USC. Cool. And when I was at USC, Ronald Reagan was president. And I remember I used to watch him on the evening news and, you know, it was kind of an inspiring guy and a very good communicator. And yeah. so I got involved in 
following his message and his politics and his presidency. And that's really what got me involved. And I was a big Dennis Prager fan. I used to listen to him on the radio all the time. He had a nationally syndicated talk radio show called Religion on the Line. Oh, wow. You're dating Every yourself. Saturday and Sunday night, he had a priest, <laughs> minister, and rabbi, and he moderated that discussion. I used to stay up really late. I was super fascinated by, by him. And then I just gradually graduated into more of a, a political you know, realm. I went to medical school after USC at the University of California, Irvine. I've heard of that. And Irvine is in Orange County. So originally I grew up out in San Fernando Valley, moved further south, USC, UC Irvine. Now I'm in Orange County. And then I stayed behind the orange curtain once I graduated medical school and got a job (laughs) as a family physician locally. And then when my kids were young, um, there were some issues at our local schools and we were battling and fighting and super frustrated by the union rules about getting things done. Like we, our schools weren't air conditioned and there's a local HVAC contractor and said, well, I'll just donate the air conditioners and all my guys come out on a weekend and put them in. And the school said, no, you can't do that. We're like, what do you mean you can't do it? It's free. It costs the school nothing. All the labor will be donated. It's a contractor. He's bonded and secured. It's not a problem. We'll chip in. And they said, no, you you can't do that because we have a contract for that. And we have to use union labor. We have to go through union contracting and bidding. And you can't just put air conditioning in on some weekend by some parent. This is public school, public public school, school, Orange County, public school, Orange County. Wow. Los Alamitos Unified School District. One of the top school districts in Orange County. Same thing happened with a broken water fountain. There's a plumber. He goes, hey, I can grab a a, a new water fountain at the supply store. It's super cheap. I'll just sell it to the school at cost. My guys will come in and put it in over the weekend. Same kind of thing. No, you can't do that. You need to use contracted labor. You have to go through a bidding process, yada, yada, yada. And it got really frustrating. So a group of parents, mostly moms, said, we got to do something about this. This is like crazy. And we figured the only way to do do that is do it from the top. We need to run somebody for school board. Hmm. And I drew the shortest straw (laughs) and I decided to run for school board. I didn't know what I was doing. I'd never done that before, but we sort of figured it out. All the moms in the local community were sort of my campaign manager. And what what year was that? Oh boy. Uh, Around 1998 ish. Okay. 98, 2000, somewhere around there. Okay. And sure as shit, I won. Like, holy crap. You did? Yeah. It's like, what the hell am I supposed to do now? Be a school board member. I don't even know what that means. So I was a school board member for 12 years, got reelected three times. Wow. And I wait, wait, was this, was this Orange County or was it local? Orange County, Los Alamitos, Los Alamitos. No, Orange County has 28 independent school districts with their own school boards. Okay. Every county works a little bit differently, but this is sort of the outline. And school boards are lo- are locally elected and they're supposed to run the school. They're supposed to have a fiduciary responsibility, so we manage the budget, we hire and fire the superintendent, and the superintendent is supposed to follow our direction basically in how to run the school. We had a conservative school board too. But I soon learned that the ability of a school board, even if they're like-minded to make changes, is very, very limited. And it's limited because the unions have supreme power. And so whether it's bargaining over salary and benefits or it's instituting curriculum, at the end of the day, it's the teachers behind closed doors who represent their unions, not the children, that make decisions. So almost no matter what policy you impart, You can't force them to do anything behind closed doors. So towards the end of my tenure, Los Alamitos Unified, we always battled with Irvine and Laguna for the top spot as the best school district in Orange County. But best school district meant at Los Alamitos Unified High School that about 40% of our kids were below grade level in math. Now, this is not- Say that one more time. Say, Say that whole sentence again. 40% of our kids at Los Alamitos High School during my tenure were below grade level at math. And you said that's what it is to compete for the best. And we were considered to be one of the top districts in Orange County, not just on our math scores, on other scores as well, but nonetheless. 
And we're not a poor neighborhood. This is Los Alamitos, Rossmore, and Seal Beach. We're a very affluent neighborhood. This isn't like downtown Santa Ana or in some slum city. And so I kept asking questions. How is that possible that our kids aren't at least at grade level? And what can we do about it? There weren't really any answers. So I I, I posed some solutions. I said, okay, how about this? How about we don't allow kids to participate in extracurricular activities until they're at least at grade level? And we'll provide them with whatever tutoring and extra help that they need. But as an incentive, you have to be at grade level if you want to play football, be in the band, cheerleading, whatever you want to do. No, Barky, you can't do that. Why not? Because if not for the football team, the band, the cheerleading squad or whatever, you would have kids that would simply drop out of school and might not even continue on. Like, okay, well, how about this one? Hmm. How about for every kid that's below grade level, we provide them with a free voucher to a local math tutoring center or private tutor. Lots of private tutors in our neighborhood. We had like mathmasium and, you know, tutor time and various um, commercial entities that helped kids with tutoring. We'll provide them with a voucher twice a week until they're up at grade level. How about if we do that? No, Barky, you can't do that. Well, why the hell not? Because that would imply that our own teachers aren't good enough to teach them. I said, well, isn't that exactly the case? Okay, how about this? Let's work with the teachers. Let's use private funds, a grant or gift or what have you, and let's financially incentivize our teachers. We'll benchmark the kids at the beginning, the middle, at the end of the year. The teachers that make the biggest progress will get a financial reward, 5,000, 10,000, pick the number, it doesn't even matter. How about we incentivize incentivize financially our teachers to work hard to to earn that bonus to get the kids up to speed? No, Barky, you can't do that either. Why the hell not? It's private funds. It's not general funds because of the uniform compensation system that's in the union contract. Teachers all have to be paid the same based on the number of years they've worked and their degree that they have, irrespective of whether they're a good teacher. So technically that's illegal to do. So I couldn't do that. Shortly after that, the unions ran a candidate against me and they outspent me, outspent me like 10 to one. And sure enough, I lost that election by about a dozen votes. Wow. And it was the best thing that happened to me wow. because I realized the ability to actually impact a school, even if you have a like-minded school board is very limited and that gave me an opportunity to, to found a charter school. Yeah. So I worked with a co-founder and we founded um, a charter school in Orange County called Orange County Classical Academy. We are the only charter school in California that has a full affiliation with Hillsdale College in Michigan. We use wow. their curriculum and they provide us with uh, with support, not financial support, but professional development. They train our teachers. They train our staff twice a year. They have school board governance meetings. I'll be going there in a couple of weeks. And we've got a thousand kids on our waiting list to get into our school. We outperform all other uh, similar schools uh, in our uh, school district, which is in the city of Orange. And we're thriving. We're non-unionized, as is the case in Orange County with most charter schools. And it gives us the advantage of being able to be very creative with how we hire the curriculum that we use, uh, and some other things that the state charter school law allows. And so our charter school, some others as well, are thriving as an alternative to the traditional government schools. Now, keep in mind, in California, it is illegal to have a private charter school. So we are not private. We are publicly funded. It's free to go to our school. There's no charge, just like a traditional school. And we admit patients, patients, we admit students, (laughs) we admit students based on a lottery system. So we don't selectively determine who's going to be there. They sign up for a lottery. And when we have openings, it's a random lottery system to choose who's going to attend our school. Are you a public school kid? Did you grow up in public schools? I did. Yeah. In the, in the Los Angeles, in the Los Angeles school district back in, 
you know, the San Fernando Valley, you know, K through 12 in the public school system. I mean, I don't really remember. There was really no politics at the time. I think my education was okay. Um, when I you, think it was very different back then. When you got to SC, did you have a hard time? Were you struggling in math or science? No, not really. I mean, they had some, you know, benchmark tests to take to determine which, you know, you know, basic English and math and so forth uh, courses that you would be enrolled in. But, you know, mm. I, no, I didn't, I didn't really struggle. Um, you know, I did fine. You know, I, I worked pretty hard. I had an older brother that was super smart. So I kind of followed in his footsteps and he was helpful with my study habits and so forth. And then, you know, and then I went on to medical school at UC Irvine and, and did fine there as well. What's your background with firearms? This is a second amendment friendly podcast. Uh, a lot of people that follow this. I mean, are... I grew up hunting and shooting. My dad used to take my brother and I hunting, bear hunting and deer hunting and wild boar hunting. It was just part of our culture and what we did. And eventually when I moved down to Orange County, I became a reserve for a local law enforcement agency down here. I, I won't say the name, but you could probably guess. And eventually that escalated to becoming a SWAT physician, a tactical physician for a local SWAT team, along with my business partner who sort of led the way in that. And so strong believer in the Second Amendment. I've got a concealed carry permit. Um, I rarely leave the house without being armed, especially now with what's going on in the Middle East and especially being a Jew myself, um, that I am um, always armed wherever I go and am very cautious uh, about looking over my shoulders and keeping my head on a swivel. We live in, an, unfortunately, a very dangerous world. Uh, this year, for the first time at our charter school, we hired armed security. Um, so we have an armed guard, uniformed guard at our school, uh, as well as a canine. And uh, our parents requested slash demanded it. And even though it's very, very expensive, about over $100,000 a year to have that armed person, um, this is a um, a security outfit that also protects Pastor Jack Hibbs at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. Um, they are all former law enforcement, secret service, and military. So they are highly qualified. They're not just some random rent-a-cop. Um, so our students, our families, our parents, and our teachers feel much more comfortable knowing that Century James is on duty whenever the children are there. Mm-hmm. That's what, been, that's what that's what we call them, Century James. That's cool. I, I've been to that school last year. I, I went to check it out for myself, and I met the dean and the HR lady. Headmaster. And they, yes. And uh, Lisa, uh, I'm not sure if that's the headmaster or not. Maybe I'm- Our, he, maybe, our headmaster maybe is, a, is a, a lady named uh, Semi Park. Okay. I met her. I met her, and I met somebody named Lisa- and that's who I ta- ended up talking the most to. But Great. I got a little tour, and um, I was very impressed with the students. Just just the little interactions I had there, and I've I've spent you know two decades in in classrooms, including LAUSD, as a college professor at the high school level. Yep, and it's a disaster up there. I'm telling you. But uh, I mean, nothing against my kids. I love the kids, but uh, the system is all screwed up. Hundred percent, and yeah. Well, I, I was going to say that uh, I, I couldn't even tell it was a public school, and I mean that with it breaks my heart to say this because I'm a public school kid. I grew up in public schools uh, in Jefferson County in Colorado, where actually Columbine happened. I don't know if you remember Columbine, nineteen ninety nine. Of course, um, I grew up right there and that that area, and um. I, I felt like the, the public schools were pretty decent back then. Um, there, uh, I felt like it was a good education. And if you, you put your shoulder into it, you could, you could do well. And, um, so it breaks my heart to, to say this about the school there, Orange County Classical Academy, that I could not tell it was a public school. I, I, I looked for any sign that it was public and I couldn't tell. And that's the best compliment I can give you because is you guys were squared away and I, you were dialed in and uh, I'm very impressed with that. And Yeah, uh, well, thank you. Way, I mean, a couple of things that we do different uh, besides yeah. our curriculum, which is classical education, uh, yeah. the foreign language is Latin. We think that's important and that's, that's so part of cool. classical education. 
All our kids wear uniforms. We think that's important as well. And we have a no cell phone policy there. So the kids can bring their cell phone to school, uh, but they have to check them in in the office and they're not allowed to have their cell phone during school hours. So our kids sit at lunch and talk to each other, not social media and not texting and not on their phone. Oh, man. I have a, a very good friend. He might be my best friend. Um, who's this? <laughs> this is this is Winston, and she Winston. loves to be on camera. Okay, Winston's a gray cat, just FYI yeah. for everybody listening. Um, apparently loves the Second Amendment, loves the American flag. That's right. That's a cool-looking cat. Um, yeah, Russian so, blue. Yes. Um, we had one of those that used to come around our house. It was, a tom, I think it was just a Tomcat. I don't think it belonged to anybody, but anyway, uh, foreign language is Latin, but I, I, you're describing this and I'm like, I want to go here. I mean, like I want to learn Latin. Uh, but yeah, I have a friend of mine who's a, is a good, really good friend. His kids go there and I've seen, you know, I've seen them since they were babies and I, I care about them a lot and it's good to see that they're getting the kind of education. I just wanted to, uh, I, I was poking around your background a little bit long time ago, just to see about getting you on the podcast. And there was a story about, there's a story in the newspaper. I just thought maybe we could just briefly talk about that. If you, sure. if that's okay about that, you had a gun or something in a medical facility. Was it Hogue? I can't no, remember. what happened was during COVID, uh, I started doing Facebook lives, okay. uh, just talking about what was going on in the news, COVID, the treatments with hydroxychloroquine and then ivermectin, supplements, strategies for staying healthy, all things related to COVID. I started, you know, most nights I would time it to be right after Tucker because I didn't want to interfere with Tucker. So right after Tucker would come on. I would do a Facebook live from, you know, 15, 20 minutes, sometimes longer. And then I started interviewing people because I thought that would really be fun. And interestingly, one of the people I interviewed was John Lott. John Lott, of oh, course, wow. is a strong Second Amendment advocate. He's an economist and super smart guy. But one of the people I interviewed was a lady from Orange County named Peggy Hall. And uh, Peggy has some very strong feelings against masking. And so as part of our discussion, I brought up masking and its effectiveness and um, and what she thought about it. And we had a robust discussion. I agree with her, by the way. And at some point, I tongue in cheek said, well, you know what, Peggy? I think if people really want to protect themselves, they should do what I do. I carry concealed. And I think that's more important than ever. Than, I think that's a more important protection than a mask could ever hope to offer against COVID and I pulled out my gun and I displayed it. From my perspective, nothing wrong with that. I'm licensed to carry the gun. I'm in my own home and I was making a point. But okay. this point, apparently many people did not like the point I was making and social media blew up about this. My local hospital hated that I did that and they tweeted against me. I don't know why they have a Twitter account, but they do. Within a few days, there was a sign on our building that was owned by our local hospital, something like firearms prohibited. Now, I also happen to be a reserve, mm -hmm. and so I'm legally allowed to carry. Um, so they th that sign wasn't going to influence me. My business partner, a reserve, one of the doctors who work for us, a reserve police officer with Huntington Beach. So we were probably the most heavily armed physician office in our building and in the local neighborhood. But it was just apropos to the time that what I did, I did nothing wrong. Um, I was legally allowed to carry this weapon that I'm trained to use. Uh, but of course, those on the left and those don't that don't like me use that as a battering ram uh, to try to blow me up on social media and so forth. And listen, there were some people that don't agree with my politics that left my practice, and that was painful. You know, it always hurts when somebody makes a decision that they don't like you, not because they don't like your medical care or medical advice. They don't like your politics, so they don't want a doctor that shares that politics, even though I don't talk politics in the office. I mean, if somebody asks me my opinion, I'll give it, but I don't, I don't lead with, hey, what do you think about the Middle East? Let's talk about that or whatever. 
Yeah. Um, but shortly thereafter, the floodgates opened and there were, you know, greater Orange County and and all over the country. I had patients that wanted a like-minded physician and my practice filled very quickly to the point that I had to close my brick and mortar practice uh, because I got so busy. <laughs> wow. That is an incredible story. I'm so glad I asked you that question. I was a little hesitant just because I wasn't quite sure, but I thought, yeah, people are going to look you up. So I might as well ask, let you characterize it. That's pretty awesome. That's an awesome story. What kind of gun was it that you showed everybody? Uh, it's a Sig Sauer 365. All right. That's not like you had an Uzi or something. Uh, no, you know, or, you or, know, like no, it was just a H&K fully auto. Simple, hand, simple handgun. Yeah, simple handgun. That's a very small, for everybody who doesn't know that what that is, it's a very small nine millimeter. It's kind of snappy, I think. Um, so what? How, what's the time commitment on being a reserve officer? Uh, the, the commitment I have, it's about 20 hours a month. And right now I'm actually on leave of absence because I got so busy over COVID. I just didn't have time to do that. So I'm looking at ways to possibly become active again and, and do some things within the department. That's cool. What kind of training is required to become a reserve? Is there an age uh, you have, limit? You, you have to go through a reserve academy, which is about 12 weeks, Tuesday, Thursday evening, and all day Saturday for about 12 weeks. And then and then your commitment to keep up on your perishable skills, mm -hmm. um, qualifying with your handgun and uh, taser and um, arrest and control techniques and a variety of other things. So there's regular ongoing training for reserves that meets the post post um what does post stand for police officer something training i can't remember what that acronym stands for so you know all the reserves are required to keep up with a level of reserve training and their perishable skills and so forth and and then participate with the sheriff's department at, at various levels we have been um censored on youtube for Actually, you know, I don't even really know because they don't really tell you. They don't say, hey, at this timestamp, uh, here was the sentence and here's the problem with it. They don't say that. It's very vague. Um, and so I'm hesitant to even say certain words on here because we're, this is going on YouTube. Sure. Um, do you know how to talk around stuff like that? Sure. You, yeah. Okay. So all the stuff that you were talking about the very beginning about informed consent right that obviously probably everybody's listening to this thinking hmm that sounds like it applies to something else that was really big in the news the last three years 100 percent. and um i'm doing the best i can to just i hate the i hate i hate being censored um i, I really hate it I can't, I can't even, some people ask me, well, why did they remove it? It's like, well, I can't even tell you on the recording because if I mention what was said, even the topic, it just, it sucks. So I'm glad you're, it sounds like, um, I I'm, I'm tracking with every, everything that you, your, your, your pushback and your not just instincts, but your critical thinking about everything that happened in the last three years. And I saw, I caught that thing about masks that you did with uh, that psychiatrist that you had on Mark. Mark McDonald, uh, McDonald. is my podcast co-host. He cool. and I have a podcast called informed dissent. Oh, that's awesome. Intersection of healthcare and politics. And I got to know Mark during the pandemic. We both were founding physicians of America's frontline doctors. And so we became very good friends, um, developed this podcast, and uh, it's really fun working together with him. He's quite quite brilliant and quite thoughtful. He also has an excellent Substack um, mm -hmm. account called Dissident MD, and he's a fantastic writer. I think he was in college or something, in English literature, he speaks four or five different languages, um, including some of the Asian languages. He's he's quite a brilliant man, uh, and and uh, v very deep in his analysis. I just loved that little thing. I the only I, the only one I watched was the one on masks, and it was I think sixty minutes, and I watched the whole thing. 
and it was on Instagram. I don't know if the the recording is available anywhere else. Is it on? Is it somehow? Where is it audio only or? Uh, we, we did, we did have, we did have some, uh, video, but, but like yours, uh, much of our video was banned on YouTube and the like, I think we have a a rumble channel that we're on, but the, but if you, you know, subscribe to podcast on an Apple or Spotify or whatever you use informed dissent, you can just search for it or search my name, Barky, be like boy, A R K in, it comes up. We just released a podcast with, when we, we interviewed Riley Gaines. Riley is the uh, former University of Kentucky swimmer that was forced to swim against a six foot four dude, Leah Thomas. Um, She ended up tying the guy, but she's been an outspoken advocate for women's rights and has quite a compelling story on her whole experience. Wow. I'm going to share my screen here. Hopefully that people can see this. Can you see this? Uh, No. I just see a blank rectangle. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Well, I can see it, but I'm going to stop sharing. It's informed dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics. And it looks great. This this looks wonderful. Dr. Barkey, um, you have hope for the future? Um, hope for the future. Listen, here's my evolving perspective. Uh, if you're a believer, the future is eternity. And that I think is ultimately more important. Um, while we're here on this life, which is, you know, the next, whatever, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, Um, I'm going to do what I can to make a difference locally and broader. Um, I'm just one person, but everybody is just one person. And I'm nothing special, just an average schmo who happens to have a microphone, who is given the opportunity to share his perspective. And anybody listening can do the same. And if you can't be an activist, and I know that's not for everybody, not everybody has the skill to speak publicly and so forth, then you need to support an activist. Uh, because it's hard and it's painful and it's difficult to do what we do. So yes, I think there's hope for the future, but it's not in the in the politician that's going to save us. It's not top down from the federal government. It's bottom up from the grassroots. It's individuals that rediscover what it's a, what it's what America is supposed to be about, what the American experiment. It's rediscovering the importance of a relationship with God and your church or your synagogue, or even your mosque. Um, so I think there's always hope. I think there are, there are very, very scary times right now with what's going on in the Middle East that easily could escalate into World War III. Um, but I think there's enough good people that are seeing the bright light of evil. And uh, I'm hoping with God's grace and enough supportive people at the grassroots that we can overcome this and make our country and the world a little bit better place. There's a question I forgot to ask you on my list here. How long did the process of starting that charter school, how long did that take from start to finish? Uh, It was about a year and a half, and it was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. My co-founder, Mark Booker, it was his vision to have a classical education charter school. How do you spell spell his last name? uh, B-U-C-H-E-R. Um, it was my relationship at Hillsdale College because my son attended there that I learned about their charter school movement. Hmm. So Mark and I were at some event, I don't remember where, and he was sharing this vision of a classical education school. I told him about my relationship with Hillsdale and I made some snarky comment like, come on, Mark, how hard could this be? Let's start a charter school. And so that was what really launched us. And we didn't realize how difficult it would be how much of God intervention, God's intervention would be necessary to actually get this thing up and running and yeah. the political winds that would be against us that we had to overcome. But persevere, we did. And um, now looking back, I think it's one of the greatest achievements in my life. It will, I hope, long last my legacy when I'm no longer here. And I think ultimately saving America and the world starts one child at a time with our educational system. 
And so we've got, you know, 400, close to 500 kids right now in our school. We're K through eight, growing to K through 12. God willing, we'll open up multiple schools and one child at a time will make a difference in this world. And hopefully they'll grow up and be leaders and, and influence as well. I, I think you might be the most influential person in Orange County that I've met. Oh, you're, you're very sweet. I'm not, I'm not sure that that's accurate, but that, that's well, sweet of you to say. Put it this way. I hope, I hope so. And it, it, I, you know, bringing it back to the story you mentioned about Los Alamitos, if there is a problem with the air conditioning, if there is a problem with the, the water fountain, do you have those same hurdles there to fixing them from private people? No, they get fixed. They get fixed the same day. Cause there's some parent who's a plumber there's a, an electrician who volunteers to help. There's somebody who will donate if we don't have the resources. They get done immediately. We're not unionized. And so we have a lot more flexibility and we just get stuff done. So we work on a budget that's smaller than traditional schools and traditional government schools because the state doesn't give charter schools as much money. Hmm. Plus a percentage of our money goes to our local district that oversees our charter school. But despite that, uh, we are lean and mean, and uh, we can get stuff done. And parents believe what we believe, so they're willing to help out. We have public school teachers that have come to our school and tell us for the first time in their long career, um, they don't feel like they have to hide who they are, and they feel appreciated for who they are, and that they are teaching in a school that is in alignment with their own personal values. So they're willing to work for a uh, reduced salary uh, I don't think that's it. Try OCCA, it. I, uh, Orange County Classical Academy. Um, and they're willing to work for a little bit less than what they could achieve at a government school because they know they're making a difference. Yep, there it is. Okay, orangecountyclassicalacademy.org. Yeah. And it's it's in Orange, right? Yeah. It's in the city of Orange, kind of where the 55 and Chapman Boulevard cross. How were you able to get this Hillsdale College? I, you're the only one that has that in California. In California, with great difficulty. Uh, because of my relationship with the president, Dr. Arn, yeah. uh, because of my relationship with um, the leader of the Hillsdale Charter School movement, uh, Kathleen O'Toole, who happens to be Dr. Arn's daughter, uh, who is unbelievably competent. Um, they, I convinced them to take a chance. They did not want to go into California. And at first asked, they said, no, we don't, we're not of all, all our resources. We don't want to divert any for California because you guys are too crazy. We're not sure you can be successful there. And we, we, we being me and Mark convinced them to take a chance that we believe that we could be successful. And so now we're the highest performing Hillsdale affiliated charter throughout the country and uh, they root wow. for us. You'll hear Dr. Arn. Dr. Arn is on Hugh Hewitt every Friday, and you will from time to time hear him talk about us because, you know, it's not me, but it's the school. We're, we're a shining light in Hillsdale's uh, charter school armor. So we're so proud to represent wow. that label. That is so awesome. I went to school with Katie. Oh, I knew her as Katie Arn. Um, yeah, at Katie, the time. Katie, she got Katie O'Toole now. Yeah, she got married, and Dan. I think, I think her husband was a student there as well. I didn't know him though. That was in Claremont, right? Yeah, Claremont. Yeah, yeah. That's where I did my PhD. That's where Larry did his. So you know, funny day. story. Dr. Arn, uh, Katie originally said no. Um, I, I was involved in fundraising for Christ Chapel, which is the largest on-campus chapel at Hillsdale that was built several years ago. Wow. And I went there for the grand opening of this chapel and, and Clarence Thomas gave the keynote address. It was awesome. Wow. So there are tons of dignitaries all wandering around in the quad with their name tags on and so forth. And I happened to become face to face with Dr. O'Toole. I didn't know who she was. I thought wow. she was this older, distinguished person. She's not. She's young, young, wow. attractive. And I, I didn't. I was like, oh, you're Dr. O'Toole. I said, oh, Dr. O'Toole, I'm Dr. Barkey, Orange County Classical Academy, this, that, and the other. She had already said no to us. Um, and I had about two minutes with her to give her the hard pitch. And I at least convinced her to not say no, to be open to the idea. Then fast forward, I get back to Orange County and Dr. Arn was in town for some event. And uh -huh. we convinced Dr. Arn to be with us 
at a supporters meeting um, with Orange County Classical Academy. We're raising some money. We're having an event. Dr. Arn, would you come by and say hi to the group? When he came by, Mark and I greeted him and he he didn't quite understand the relationship. He didn't really know who I was <clears throat> or Mark. I reminded him that my son attended Hillsdale. At Hillsdale, if you're adored by Dr. Arn, he gives you a sarcastic nickname. And my son was called Worthless Sam. And I said, Dr. Arn, I'm Worthless <laughs> Sam's father. And he says, oh, yes, yes, of course. Now I know who you are. And Mark had worked with Dr. Arn when he was at Claremont. They attempted to pass a voucher system in California, and they came very close until the unions poured some god-awful number of money, amount of money into it, and ultimately it lost. But Mark had had a relationship with Dr. Arn. So Mark reminded him of us of it. And of course, Dr. Arn's lights lit up and said, oh, of course, Booker and Barkey, I know who you guys are. I didn't realize it was you. And I said, Dr. Arn, you know, your daughter is very hesitant to open us up in California. Would you mind having a conversation with her and letting her know about us and why you think this is a good idea? And he said, listen, yes, I'll talk to my daughter, but please know this. She is independent of me. She will do what she wants. I cannot ever tell her what to do, but I will have a conversation. And I don't know the timing. I'm really bad with remember dates and times, but shortly thereafter, we got permission from Dr. O'Toole to go ahead and open up initially just as a, as a nice. curriculum school, meaning sign a licensing agreement. You can use our curriculum. Have a nice day. Later, we recruited a board member. Her name is Jean Judge. And Jean Judge happens to have gone to school and is best friends with Katie O'Toole. Oh. Happens to be the, the goddaughter of Dr. Arn. And oh, so- wow. And so Jean Judge, who is a, if she if she hears this, I hope she doesn't, she'd be horrified that I'm telling you this because she's very, very humble. She oh. happens to be a Harvard trained attorney and one is one of the brightest women, but most humble I know. And so using her skill set, she upgraded our, uh, our board policies, um, all our protocols, wow. and ultimately presented this to Hillsdale and got us ultimately the full affiliation that we desired. Gene uh, Judge now is um, is co-counsel uh, at Hillsdale College uh, for the K through 12 program. And I'm not sure exactly what she does. But so when we go to board training, she's always there presenting and I get to get caught up. So she and her husband, Ben Judge, who's a great guy, Claremont fellow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, great yeah, people. A, and Gene in was this... instrumental ultimately in at getting us that... Uh, that affiliation yeah i don't know if you can see what i'm sharing here uh, yeah i can see a picture of a bunch of people yeah yeah so i'm the only one in the jacket with the tie on I've got got, it. well actually sorry there's another guy with jacket and the tie uh right next to me is ben judge oh yeah there's ben totally and then katie is behind him a few over to the oh, left oh yeah there's ironically. katie how funny yeah so this was uh back in what 2012 or something like that i i think so yeah, so I didn't have she was way ahead of me in the program and I ended up doing uh she was political philosophy and I ended up switching into uh public law, constitutional law, so that's what my area is. Got it. Yeah, but, well, yeah. I'm going to be at I'm going to be at Hillsdale with Katie. Oh, I can't remember a couple 3 4 weeks and I will let her know that I was on your podcast. Yeah, yeah, say hi to her. I'm, yeah, I'm and I'll sure probably see Ben. Remember. I'll probably see Ben and uh, and Gene as well. The last time I saw Ben was at Michael Yulman's funeral. I don't know if you knew who Michael Yulman was, but he was. I a do. Dear, yeah, dear man. Um, this is yeah. I, I'm I'm so. Uh, it just seems like you have so much going on. You're a medical doctor, and you um, you you're a concealed carry holder, uh, reserve. You're found. You're not only running for board, but winning school board, and then you're going beyond that and getting a dang charter school founded. And that that sounds like kind of a lot to yeah, do there, for and there, anybody. And there's a little, and there's a little bit more, Lucas. I'm also uh, a commissioned officer in the uh, U.S. Army Reserve. Oh, uh, wow. so I'm, I'm in the Army Medical Corps, and uh, I got commissioned a few years ago, which was one of the craziest things I've ever done. 
No way. So you're what a a captain, maybe? Major. A major. Wow, you're already a major. Dang. They commissioned me as a major. Yeah. Oh, did they really? Wow. Good for them. All my years of medical training and whatever, I guess, you know, they were they were they didn't that know what they awesome. were getting into. Yeah. Well, you're a you're a major patriot. The, is the funding ever in threatened at your school? Is there anybody coming? Is there any way that they can come after your funding at all? No, not yet. I mean, they're put, you know, in California, California is crazy. They're passing some laws about curriculum. They're trying to pass some laws about parental rights and things like that. So that always kind of, you know, puts us at on the defensive and at risk. But listen, we're going to be true to classical education. And if they interfere with our ability to be effective, I mean, we'll close the school down before we'll ever um, give in to some of the woke California politics. I won't allow that to happen at my school. Um, So far, so good. Uh, We have a strong parent core that believes what we believe. We have robust fundraising that we do every year. Uh, We're growing. Obviously, we're doing something right because we've got about a thousand kids on our waiting list that want to get in. That is amazing. I'm really impressed. And then your wife is like in politics too. And she's and the, she is uh, she was elected to the county board of education yes. that has a bit of a different role. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. I'm I'm really happy that we worked this out and we were able to get you on the podcast. Thanks for totally. Coming. Yeah, let's yeah. do this again sometime. And I would love I appreciate that. you. I appreciate you pushing me to finally commit to a date. And uh, yeah. please send me the link when it's ready, and I'll post it on my social, and uh, we'll go from there. Thank you, sir. All right. All right. Thank you. you. Take care and have a great evening. You too. All right.